on this week's Thoughts from the Shade. We have to do it. We got to dive in and examine the loss in the World Series. For our Philadelphia Phillies, we'll do a quick autopsy. We'll take a look at the Eagles. They they got put on the back burner the last few weeks with the Phillies around. We'll take a look at the 8-0 Eagles uh, as they head in to a Monday night showdown with the Washington Commanders. Uh, we'll take a look at college football. It's grind time. It's November. We've got our second edition of the college football playoff rankings out tonight, here Tuesday night. And we'll get to our spot in the shade line and see what the people have for us tonight. Ain't nothing to it but to do it. Let's go. Welcome back, everybody. It is episode 68 of Thoughts from the Shade. It is an election night edition, and no, we will not assess uh, John Fetterman as Pennsylvania's offensive lineman. Uh, We won't assess Dr. Oz's golf swing. Um, I myself am recording this Tuesday evening, trying to avoid the, the result shows on the news networks, but I, I do got to say, no, no matter where you stand, uh, I think you, you got to give credit to those guys that are doing the deep dives on the live maps and zooming in on Fulton County. And th- this is the county that has Atlanta. They got a lot of vote, a lot of vote left. They're only 20% in. And then this county here, this is farm country. They're 95% in, but they, they don't really do much. I mean, th- those, those guys, I mean, I, I'd be curious to know what kind of substances uh, are flying around at the station on these these election nights, but I digress. Uh, also, thank you, everybody, that part, partook, participated uh, in our Instagram live sessions uh, before the Phillies games last week. I believe it was games three and four. Uh, apologies, no pod last week. Uh, too much action, but we figured we'd try to provide a little content. So thank you everybody for who, uh, who tuned in, uh, for participating, commenting. Uh, we had a lot of fun, uh, but we're back or I'm, I'm back tonight. Uh, no bomb tonight. It's just me. Uh, I will say, and, and I don't know if this is the reason, but we did play minor number three on Sunday out in Oxford PA at Wincote golf club, a beautiful track. Always windy there. It's a link style course, no trees. Uh, but we had we had clouds, we had wind, we had some early rain. It was a minor minor tournament or or minor competition uh, elements out there, and I believe I won two up. So minor number three in the books. We'll get minor number four in uh, before this winter weather hits, uh, and I'll see if I can close out the season win over bomb. But it's been a been a fun year good back and forth and uh look forward to playing one more round with the old bomb uh let's get to it let's do it the phillies lost the world series to the houston astros the cheaters the scumbags it hurt to watch and they blew a 2-1 lead they, they had they had the series lead they stole one on the road 
They come home with the split. They got home field lined up. They bang it around in game three, pitch the shutout with Ranger leading the way. Uh, and then the bats went dead. So, I mean, everybody listening here, I know you guys watched it. I know you all have thoughts, opinions, and feelings, but it it hurts. It hurts overall. I, I don't want to do a deep dive of each game and, and evaluate, but I just want to talk about kind of, you know, common themes throughout the series or kind of what my takeaways were. Um, because I think coming in, I feel like a lot of people, and even throughout the series, people were concerned about the pitching. And after games one and two, you had a guy like Ricky Batalico out there saying that, you know, Nola gets knocked around, but the Phillies come back. Wheeler gets knocked around, they lose game two. Uh, and he's hitting the panic button. He, he says it's a bad sign. And yes, they lost the series, but I don't think it was because of the pitching. You got a great performance in game three. You got no hit in game four, whatever you want to say about Aaron Nola, which I will say uh, certainly underwhelming as a homegrown guy, a guy you'd look to shine in a bright moment like that. He was very underwhelming in the World Series. And even game five, the bullpen game, you gave up three runs at home. You expect to win that game or win a game when you only give up three runs with the lineup that the Phillies have uh, and the way they were mashing the ball at the bank throughout the playoffs, but it didn't happen. And then you get to game six, and we all know what happened there. Zach Wheeler, he's dealing, hits a guy, gives up a little poopy dribbler up the middle, uh, and topper with the quick hook. So we'll, we'll, we'll get to that, but... I don't. I don't think this was about the pitching. Again, as as much as it hurt with Aaron Nola to, to see him underperform, uh, Zach Wheeler coming up small in, in Game Two. I, I don't think this this was a pitching issue. Would it have helped to have more arms in the bullpen and maybe maybe another stud in the rotation? Absolutely. And I think that's where the Phillies need to go in the off season. Dombrowski, Middleton, fork it up, stay aggressive. You, you got a foundation here. You got a base. You got a a team with some some playoff experience now, especially the younger guys that, that might have needed it. They've got it. Uh, it. It's time to tinker. It's time to add and, and continue to, to try to go for it with this team. But it was the bats, man. It was the bats. I, I think the bats failed the Phillies in this series like I said, you knock it around in game three, seven nothing win, dominating win. The bank is is popping off, and then you come out the next night, and you get no hit. Takes all the wind out of the sails, and I really thought it did. Um, I mean, Reese Hoskins came up small. JT Real Muto, he had the big home run, obviously in game one, but after that, small Castellanos never saw a pitch he didn't like. Small, and it happens. It's baseball. I think I said it on one of the Instagram lives that my biggest fear was that the bats go cold because it's a long season. It's it's a long postseason. Baseball is a game. Arms get hot. Bats get hot. The great teams from the regular season. You have the Dodgers win 111 games. They they don't get it done. So 
it's a funky game. And unfortunately for the Phillies, the funk came after game three and they, they couldn't battle their way out of it. Um, so that's kind of my high-level takeaway without getting into specifics on kind of the the fault or the failure of the Phillies in that series. Um, I, I think it was more so on the bats overall than on the pitching and the defense. And obviously, you don't lose a series in one game. You don't lose a series in one play or with one decision. But it's it was the ultimate decision. It was the ultimate play. It was the backbreaker for the Phillies in game six, uh, yanking Zach Wheeler in the fifth, the sixth. I think it was the sixth. And bringing in Jose Alvarado, who gives up the bomb to Jordan. Just an absolute piss missile out to center field. And and that was all she wrote. I, I knew it then. I feel like a lot of people knew it then. Um, and I think, you know who knew it then? I think Rob Thompson knew it then. Uh, obviously, he did a great job. He got this team back on track, you know, brings them to the World Series. But to me, the way he manages that situation kind of cries of desperation. The Phillies only have a one nothing lead, and Wheeler is pitching really well. Hasn't been hit hard all night. He's had four or five broken bats. He hit the leadoff guy in that inning. He gives up, you know, the 100 bouncer up the middle to Pena, I believe, who absolutely killed us. Um, Kind of getting flashbacks of David Freese with the Cardinals with that Pena kid. But it's a one nothing game. It's first and third. You get a double play. It's a tie game. You got you got nine outs left. You got three innings left. I feel like Thompson managed that situation to try to win a one nothing game, which is pretty unrealistic against a team like the Astros with the lineup that they have and the way that the, the Phillies bats were going. I, I get I get it. I I understand that they weren't hitting well, but I think that move screams desperation that you have no faith in your lineup either and people will say people said I mean there's no right answer and it's easy to be a Monday morning quarterback but it was what he did all playoffs you know going to the bullpen early playing it by ear playing playing aggressive playing to win the inning get the next out you know secure the bag so to speak whatever you want to call it. he was very aggressive and it worked out a lot but I think this was just a different situation to me um you know, he showed he showed faith in his lineup all playoffs. He, he didn't tinker with the lineup. It paid off. And I don't think he showed the same faith in his ace, Zach Wheeler, in, in a have-to-have-it moment. Um, I know he needed the extra day of rest. There was questions about his health. I want to say he was at 69 pitches when he was yanked. And you saw we posted to the Instagram Wheeler's post-game reaction in the locker room. He was pretty taken back or surprised that Topper came out to get him. I would have been too. That's your ace. That's your guy. You brought him in here for that situation, for that moment, to work his way out. Even if he gives up the one run, he gets a ground ball, gets a double play. You know, you prevent the big inning. It's one-to-one. 
clean slate, new game, three innings to go. Um, and you bring in a guy like Alvarado, who who was great in the playoffs, great down the stretch of the season. Um, but you brought him in game three, not game three, game four, Nola's second game in the series. In, in another terrible situation. I want to say it was bags loaded, no outs. And then you want to bring him in first and third. Was it no outs or one out? It wasn't two outs, I know that. In in game six with the Wheeler situation, but you bring him in in a in a hard to win spot in game four, bags loaded. After Nola leaves him loaded, thanks, Aaron. And then in game six, you bring him into another dicey spot, and I feel like you want to go back to the guy. You want to show confidence in the guy. He's he's been getting it done, aside from the last shitty spot that you put him in, but. Do you really want to trot him out in another shitty spot when your ace is dealing and hasn't given up a hard hit all night? I didn't love the choice in the moment. Um, But like I said, we can all be Monday morning quarterbacks. We can all bitch and moan. It makes no difference. But saw that ball go yard, and and that was it. You knew the bats were done. You knew they were cooked. Um and it hurt. It was it was the knife in the heart. And they lost. Good run. But you blew a 2-1 lead. You had two more home games. You had momentum. Whatever you want to say. Uh, I think in a month, and even at the end of this segment, there's, there's good things to take away. But I don't think it's a moral victory. You had an opportunity to win a championship in this city. Yet you, you had a 2-1 lead. It's not like it was David versus Goliath. The Phillies have a good lineup. I know the Astros are good. I didn't think that their lineup was outstanding. We didn't really get killed by, you know, the bottom third of their lineup at all. It was just really their top guys, if, if memory serves me correctly. But on the next year. But first I want to talk about the fans as well. Uh, a lot of fanfare, obviously, in Philly with the World Series. Uh, the celebs in the building, both in Philly and in Houston. But I want to talk about Justin Verlander and Kate Upton. You see Justin Verlander, he's on the bus coming to Philly for Game 3. And people were talking about, oh, did, the, did somebody throw a rock at the bus that shattered the window? That wasn't the case. Not sure if folks caught that footage, but... There were, there were some conspiracies out there, some misinformation here on election night, as we like to say. Uh, but then you have, you have Philly fans in the parking lot during the World Series yucking it up with the opposing team's ace. And they're, they're doing a fake middle finger picture. Then they're doing a thumbs up picture and they're smiling. What happened to the to the city, to the fan base, you know, that, that, that didn't welcome opposing teams with open arms? And how about Kate Upton, the, the, the spouse, the wife? Is she the wife? I don't know. I'm into pop culture, but not that much. But Kate Upton, she's got a like a general admission seat. She's not in a box. She's not in a suite. She's sitting 10 rows up behind the Astros dugout or five rows up, whatever you want to call it. And I see people I know at the game 
taking videos of Kate Upton down the row, a couple rows ahead, a couple seats to the left. There she is. There she is. It's shocking to me that, that Kate Upton, supporting the Houston Astros, is able to sit amongst the people of Philadelphia and enjoy a World Series game where she's rooting on the opponent. You know, no popcorn thrown at her. And, and I'm not I'm not saying it's right. I'm just wondering what happened to this city that, that we're more excited to take pictures with Justin Verlander and catch videos of Kate Upton as she sits amongst the working folk. I'm shocked. I'm shocked that she didn't have to sit in a suite or a box. And you think about that, and then you hear the stuff coming from the Castellanos family. Now, I'm not defending the plate appearances, but I, I will sit here and defend his family. You get you got Philly fans that are yucking it up and happy to see Verlander and Upton, yet they're harassing the shit out of Nick Castellanos' wife or his sister or his kids, whatever it was. Make it make sense. What is going on here? Like, I, I, I just don't understand. But that's, I guess that's what's happening, what's happening in 2022 and what's happening in Philadelphia. It's all for the clout, you know, and then we'll just shit on our own players' families um, when they don't perform. Makes no sense to me. Uh, I did want to mention a stat that I came across um, talking about the bats, you know, versus the the pitching and the series and the defense. Here, here's some some numerals to back up my feelings, my thoughts on the bats. The Phillies hit 159 and struck out 71 times in the World Series. That's the worst batting average in a series that went at least six games and the most strikeouts ever in the World Series. Real Muto, Hoskins, and Castellanos last three games of the series. One for 36, 22 strikeouts. And those guys all had good moments throughout the playoffs. And they're supposed to be, you know, some of your your better guys. They're your meat-of-the-lineup guys. Failed to deliver. Back to the fans. Uh, I saw this from Barstool Philly shortly after the Phillies lost game six. Here's the tweet from Barstool Philly. Can't believe the Phillies really took a ride to the World Series and gave the best team in baseball their only two losses of the playoffs. So many moments to be proud of. The city was fucking electric from October into November. That was one hell of a season from the Fightins. Miss me with that. The best team in baseball? I believe the best team in baseball, if you're going off the regular season, was the Los Angeles Dodgers. Best team in the AL? Sure. We had a 2-1 lead. And we gave them their only two losses to the playoffs. Oh, I forgot. I forgot that they were undefeated coming to the World Series, as if that mattered. That's a moral victory tweet. What is happening to this city? I I have to imagine that the person running the Barstool Philly account, it's got to be some young Gen Zer 
participation trophy. Young lad. You lost. 4 nothing, 4-2, 4-3. You lost. Doesn't matter how. And that's not really, that's not how I'm feeling immediately after the loss. And this is like instant reaction from these people. Philly's going soft, man. I, some of this stuff I saw in this Philly's run, Philly's going soft. And I forgot to mention, game five, who do they trot out pregame before the first pitch? Meek Mill. We had our spot in the shade call. I believe it was the last episode we had. About retiring dreams and, and nightmares. Well, folks, it ain't retired. Meek's out in right field, trotting around with the fanatic, screaming dreams and nightmares. I didn't think it sounded very good. I don't think it brought much energy. And actually, I thought it was the kiss of death for game five and maybe the series, but definitely game five. Unbelievable. And then not is it bad enough to have to watch the Astros storm the field and and celebrate and watch Dusty limp out of the dugout with his toothpick in to celebrate the World Series win. I flip over to the local network, the post-game show, and I'm telling you, I'm not exaggerating. This is after watching one minute after the last pitch on Fox. I flip over to the local network and we're talking about what a great run this was and how we were were overmatched and we got beat by a better team. Now, full disclosure, I didn't didn't watch the rest of the program and hear the full analysis. But after the last pitch, we're talking about how we were overmatched and got beat by a better team. We blew a 2-1 lead. We blew the lead. We blew home field. We blew it. As we do in Philadelphia, the majority of the times the stakes get high. I'm just, I'm at a loss. I'm at a loss. Those are my thoughts on the Phillies, the World Series, the loss, the fans. I think I touched it all. But, Reflecting with a glass half full mindset was a good run. They have a foundation to build off of. Guys got experience. And you heard Bryce Harper right after the World Series talking about how they're going to come back next year with most of the same guys and a couple new pieces. And the last time Bryce, you know, went public about signings or acquisitions or whatever – they inked up JT. So I think from what you saw on the field and then the sentiment um, from Bryce and extending Topper, I think Dombr- Dombrowski and Middleton will make some ads uh, and position this team for another run. But nothing's guaranteed. You, you can You can put the roster together. You look at all these big money teams, the Yankees, the Dodgers, you still got to get a little bit lucky. And I don't think the Phillies did. 
between the number of like hits down the line that were foul for the Phils, the number of infield hits for the Astros, and then the little doinkers that we hit and we can't beat shit out. They're making plays. Just ran out of luck, ran out of hitting. I got ran out of Houston. And that loss, that's that World Series loss. Yes, yes, the run was gravy. Um but I still feel it I feel that this loss hurts and with the Eagles being in the position that they're in, it's Lombardi or Boss now after that Phillies run. We can't have a top seed in the NFC uh with with an MVP candidate, uh with the best offense in football. Maybe I'm biased saying that. I don't think I am. They have to get it done now. They got to get it done. It's on the Eagles now. It's on Jalen Hurts. It's on Nick Sirianni. And I, at this point, from what I've seen, I wouldn't want it to be on anybody else. Eagles moved 8-0 Thursday night against the Houston Texans, the lowly Houston Texans, uh, by a score of 29-17. to 17. Obviously, had the Phillies on the main screen, had the Eagles on the volumeless, smaller screen. But from what I saw, I didn't do a tape review after. I'm not a tape review guy. I'm not a not a rewatch guy. Not yet. Got other got other uh, you know things going on. But I did think the trench play was a bit concerning. I saw Milata get beat in, in pass pro a couple of times. I don't know if he's dinged up. You know, if he's nursing something. Um, but the Eagles were were able to run the ball well, move down the field well. Another efficient night from Hertz. It was a Dallas Goddard night. It was a Miles Sanders night. Um, but also the, de- the the defensive front was a bit concerning, letting this guy Damian Pierce. I mean, great player, great, great rookie out of Florida. 27 for 139 on the ground. Little disconcerting. But 8-0. You can't complain. You just got to keep an eye uh, and, and continue to watch this team improve and grow. Um, I went off on the Instagram story the other day. I think it was Sunday. And uh, you know, it was, was a little hot about the Buffalo Bills rubbing it in that they lost to the Jets that day. Jets, by the way, they got something cooking there. I don't know about the offense. That defense is good. Um, but I, I played golf on Friday. You know, I'm all, I'm off on Fridays, so most of my pals are working. Don't have that luxury, but so I'll, I'll go out and, and get paired up with whoever. And Friday, I get paired up with with a guy from Buffalo, and we finished the 18th hole. We're shaking hands, and I'm asking him, you know, who, who's winning MVP, Allen or Hurts? Making making small talk, and. We're talking, well, maybe maybe we'll match up in the Super Bowl. Yeah. And this guy goes, uh, yeah, may- maybe. But but who have the Eagles played? And, you know, I'm a little more aggressive when I'm hopping on the Instagram story than I am to somebody that I hardly know and just played, played a round of golf with. But I, I'm just thinking to myself, hang on a minute. Let's look around this NFL. Let's look around this league. 
who is anybody played? Who who is anybody in this league right now? We watched the Rams and the Bucks slop it up for three hours. Uh, you know, in the not the prime time, but the A one spot at four twenty five on CBS with Nance and Ramon on Sunday. That was an absolute slop fest from two preseason Super Bowl favorites, NFC favorites. Um everybody's beating everybody. And then Buffalo goes and loses to the New York Jets. So congrats on your win at Kansas City. Uh, But Mike Vrabel and rookie Malik Willis, who didn't complete a pass to a wide receiver, and Derrick Henry and the Tennessee Titans took that team to overtime. So hold your horses there on on who you played. The NFL stinks this year. That's kind of my big takeaway on the NFL. I'm not going to go game by game, players. We're going to dive back into football hard now that, that the Phillies run is over and things are heating up. But the quality of playing the NFL is bad this year. It's a bad product. It's, it's bad football. I typically enjoy watching games aside from the Eagles, but this year it just hasn't felt the same. I don't know how everybody else feels. So that was my beef with the Buffalo Bills on Sunday. But don't don't give me who have you played. There's one seven and one team in the NFL, the Minnesota Vikings. The Eagles beat them. The Eagles beat the six and two Cowboys. And I don't want to hear about Dak. What's he ever won? What's he ever done? The last thing I want to I want to pose a question to the people, to the listeners, about this Eagles team. We're eight now. And I don't think this is like a jinx by any means. I don't think this is like bad juju or anything like that, like jinx in a shutout for a goalie or anything. But do we want to see a loss for this team in the regular season? I think I do. And I, I, I think they will. I think it's really hard to go 16-0 now, 17-0. I think it's really hard to go undefeated. We always quote our good friend Andy Reid, tough, tough league to win in, man. But I would like to see a loss. I, I, I think the mindset of this team is is fantastic. I think even with every win, they're staying level headed. Jalen Hurts is talking about the standard. He's he's leading the boys. Um, but I I I still think you gotta you, you gotta take one on the chin. Just just to set you right for the playoffs, because like I said at the top of the Eagles segment. We, we can't have two heartbreaking postseason losses in like a five-month span or a four-month span, whatever it's going to be. The city can't handle it. Well, the old Philly can't handle it. I'm, I'm talking about all these fans of the World Series. Maybe maybe new Philly can handle it. We'll just It'll be another good run. It was a good run. We're the Super Bowl favorites now. We, we got to go get this one. Um, How about Howie Roseman? Got to give a little love to Howie. He had an Ari Gold moment down in Houston Thursday night. There's a Bozo fan there. I mean, I'm I'm not the biggest. I'm Howie's growing on me. Everybody's heard Bob and I talk about Howie, but I don't blow Howie by any means. Uh, but he's done a great job, and he did bring this city a Super Bowl. So give the guy props. But this this fan is down in Houston Thursday night with a sign. Saying like, you know, uh, Rager, 
over Jefferson, Whiteside over Metcalf. I forgive you, Howie. And Howie Grossman sees this sign. I think it had to be pregame. I don't know if it was pregame or postgame. Howie walks over to where the fan is standing, like front row, and basically motherfucks him. Has a complete Ari Gold Lloyd moment. You know, just airs it out. Says, you better fucking forgive me. Fuck you. Never seen that side of Howie before. I always thought he was kind of the, the quiet Weasley guy, but great to see some fire out of him. So that's 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 a point for Howie with me. We'll look forward to the Eagles taking on Washington at home Monday night. Uh, I have to check with Bomb, but he should be in the building. He should be on the field holding the flag pregame. Looking out for our favorite Lumberjack, Carson Wentz. I don't know if he's been holding it down on the sidelines with Heineke. Getting the play right now due to injury. I think he'd be getting it anyway. We called that before the season. Uh, but yeah, Monday Night Eagles hosting the Commanders in an NFC East battle. NFC East looking pretty good. AFC East looking pretty good. Patriots are coming on. Jets. Miami. It'll be an interesting stretch run. I know I know. I said the, the quality of play is bad, the, the product's bad, but hopefully we start to see... The good teams kind of separate themselves and will gear up for, for a good playoffs. Um, but always, as always, reminder, uh, this episode is brought to you by our friends at Menard Premium Detailing, the best auto detail service in Bucks County. Uh, you can find them online at MenardPremiumDetailing.com. They are on Instagram. They are on Facebook. You can find them on YouTube. Uh, and if you're old school and you like to call people on the phone, reach out to them at one eight three three two Menard. Believe it or not, six weeks roughly to Christmas uh, and to the holiday season. Looking for a gift, the car lover in your life. How about a gift card to Menard? Let's take a look at uh, let's take a look at college football. It's been a minute. Uh, obviously. We didn't have a podcast last week to talk about the Penn State loss, uh, the complete debacle. Another another team we root for or I root for that had a game one at home uh, against the number two team in the country in the Buckeyes, and they shit down their leg. And I'll leave it at that. They bounced back with the win over Indiana this past week, 45-14, ho-hum. Uh, but might get to 10 wins. And then if they do that, you look back at Ohio State and that game and how winnable it was. And you just wonder if maybe they could have sneaked into the playoff and gotten absolutely butchered by the Georgia Bulldogs. I'd still like to see it. Um, Top 25 just came out tonight before I started recording. I want to run through the, the college football playoff committee top 10 rankings for you. Uh, we got Clemson down at number 10 off the loss to Notre Dame. I think that's a disqualifying loss. I think the ACC uh, maybe barring a win out from North Carolina. I think the ACC's out of the playoff. Alabama at nine, two losses now after the loss to LSU. I had them this weekend. USC is at number eight. With one loss, LSU, two losses at number seven, but the big win over Bama. 
losses to Florida State and Tennessee. Uh, I believe they have the head-to-head win over number 11, Ole Miss. So they've got the inside track to the SEC championship game in the West. Number six, the Oregon Ducks. Uh, the week one slap around from the Bulldogs uh, in Mercedes Mercedes-Benz Stadium. They've bounced back. They're rolling. Bo Nix looks good. Tennessee off the loss, the number one team in the initial CFP rankings last week. The loss in Athens to the Georgia Bulldogs, 27-13. I had Tennessee. I got questions about the pick, even though I went 3-1 in college this week, and I'm having a good year. I got questions about the pick. I faded myself. It was a Georgia line, something I'm usually all over. I faded myself. Be interesting to see what happens with Tennessee because Georgia is going to represent the East more than likely, barring an upset uh, in the SEC title game. So does a one-loss Tennessee hang around and grab a four spot later on? A lot to unfold. Number four, team I'm loving. But I think they might go down this week. Actually, I think they are going to go down, sadly. The TCU Horned Frogs in at number four in this week's rankings. They are at Texas on Saturday, 7.30 ABC. I think it's the game of the week. They're a seven-point dog. The number four team against the Longhorns, seven-point dog. TCU's been defying the odds all year, it feels like, so something to keep an eye on, but that Texas team is good. You saw them. They should have beat Bama early in the season. It's a good Texas team. Tough test on the road for the Horned Frogs. Number three, Michigan. Number two, Ohio State. Uh, it looks like we're headed for the game last week of the season with these two teams undefeated, uh, playing for the Big Ten East title, spot in the Big Ten championship game to play uh, the Lenape Valley Indians out of the Big Ten West in Indianapolis. Uh, and then you got the Georgia Bulldogs up top, letting everybody know on Saturday they're still the top dog. Uh, that was an interesting game, Georgia-Tennessee. I felt like Tennessee was on the field the entire second half and just ran the same play over and over, and Georgia had all the answers. I think the uh, the 27-13, that was a little closer than the game actually was. I think Georgia dominated, so I don't know if I need to see Tennessee-Georgia again. But it'll be interesting to see how, see how all of this shakes out. Like I said, I think the ACC is dead. The Big 12, aside from TCU, is dead. If they lose this weekend, I think the Big 12 is dead. The Big Ten, I think it's Ohio State or Michigan. I don't think you get two Big Ten teams. Even if it's just a one loss and you don't make the title game, I, I think I think you just get the undefeated Big Ten championship winner. Unless you get chaos. We can always get chaos, folks. I'm trying to think about what's, what's going to happen, but it's not always how it goes. Um, SEC, you're going to have Georgia in the East. You have a one-loss Tennessee not going to the title game. You have a two-loss LSU team with the inside track in the West. You have an Ole Miss team uh, with one loss in conference right behind them in the West. I don't know. I don't know what to think. It just it feels like Georgia, and then it feels like Tennessee is probably lingering. Um, the Pac-12, you have USC, you have Oregon, you have UCLA, all one loss. Does a one-loss Pac-12 champ get in? 
think they might deserve a shot this year. I think I think the, some of these Pac-12 teams are pretty good. I think Oregon's good. SC is good. Um, UCLA and, and even Utah, two losses. They're not going to get in, but that's still a good team. That's still a good win. Uh, so it's going to be an interesting finish to the college football season. I believe we're through 10, 11 weeks. Most teams have three games left plus conference championship week. Uh, it's crunch time. We're going to have chaos, but I think I think they got the rankings right this week with, with Georgia, Ohio State, Michigan, and TCO, although I'd flip-flop Michigan and Ohio State. Uh, Ohio State struggled. I know it was windy. I know it was ugly, but struggled to beat Northwestern and push them around and move the ball on the ground uh, with the wind conditions and really not conducive to throwing the football. But I I think this Michigan team, uh, I, I've watched Penn State play both. I've I've watched Ohio State struggle with Notre Dame. I've watched them struggle with North Northwestern. They're kind of soft, and and Michigan is not. That's a Jim Harbaugh coach team. As much as we hate the guy, as as annoying as he is, as much as a J.O. as he looks like and carrying on, he coaches a hard, mean football team. I kind of like Michigan over Ohio State again this year. But give the committee credit. Moving up TCU this week into the top four. It's on the Horn Frogs now, controlling their own destiny uh, to be the sole representative from the Big 12. Interesting stuff to come in college football. Don't forget, you can follow us on Instagram at Thoughts from the Shade and on Twitter at TFTS. Pod and don't forget wherever you're listening, leave a five star review on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify. Find that little rating system, five stars on Apple. If you want to write something, you're kind enough, or you got a question or a critique or whatever, let us know. It's appreciated and it helps us out. Let's get to the spot in the shade line. We'll wrap things up. We got one call this week, uh, and as always, you are always invited and welcome to leave a question, your thoughts, comments, a bone to pick, a gripe, a selection, whatever you got at the spot in the shade line. It's your spot in the shade at 215-385-5164. Let's see what we got from our loan caller this week. Hey, guys. Seven from Fishtown. Wanted to get your thoughts on Frank Wright being fired and yet another coach that was left in the wake of Carson Wentz. And then looking ahead, if Shane Steichen were to get a head coaching job or move elsewhere, would you want to see Frank Wright back on the Eagles staff as the offense coordinator? Thanks. The brains of the operation. RIP Frank Reich. Um, first of all, Kevin and Fishtown – I know you're probably listening tomorrow, but happy belated. We're recording on his birthday. He leaves a call. What a guy. Um, he's tying the knot soon, too. We got, we're got we going to Scottsdale next week. Should be a good time. Looking forward to it. Thanks for the call, Kevin, and happy birthday, man. Uh, Frank Reich, first NFL coaching casualty of 2022. You had to see it coming. Talked about the guy looking physically not well. Uh on TV a few weeks ago, whichever game was televised. 
that team's just lost. That that franchise has lost um, ever since Andrew Luck retired. That that franchise has never got back on their feet. Um, I'm sure Frank Reich's a nice guy. I'm sure, he's you know we've heard about how he's a, a brother in Christ with with Carson Wentz. That's all good and well. I, I don't I, I don't see a, a place for him back with Philadelphia. Um, even if Steichen were to get poached for a head coaching gig or, or something else. Um, I just feel like we had a good run with Frank Reich. Uh, you know, we won the Super Bowl with him. We thank him for his service. I think he'll be best served elsewhere. I think it makes for an interesting dynamic if for whatever reason he comes back. Um, we took Sirianni from him. Then he comes back to works for Sir. It just that just doesn't feel right, and you don't know how it went down with with all the Doug stuff and him having to get rid of staff. And I just th- I think it's too messy to bring him back. Um, and and I I don't think I mean yeah he's probably a good quarterback coach he's probably a good coordinator, but I can't help but but remember the uh, I think it was the playoff game it was his first year excuse me, coaching the Colts with uh, with Big Dick Rivers, our boy Phillip Rivers, playing quarterback for the Colts. I think they were playing the Bills in a playoff game, and he just, I can't remember the entire sequence, but it was a total malpractice uh, from a coaching position, and, and they just totally blew such a winnable playoff game. Uh, but, yeah, that, they just haven't been right, and I, I think the Frank Reich ship has sailed in this city. I know there's going to be plenty of honks out there that would say, bring him back as the QB coach or, you know, like we, we let's, we can't be the flyers. You know, we, we can't bring everybody back, uh, that, that cleaned the jock strap for the 1975 Stanley cup champs 50, 50 years later. Let, let's not do that. We've seen what, what that does for a franchise. Nothing. Um, like I said, Good guy. Wish him well. Don't wish him back in this city. Um, but again, thanks for the call. And as always, we want to hear from the people. We like when the people get involved. And I want to close things out. I actually got, uh, before I close things out, I got, I got a mini bone this week. You know, we're, we're, we're down to, we're down to the Eagles, Sixers and Flyers. It's early. Um, but how about this guy, Joel Embiid? I believe it was yesterday, and I'm paraphrasing here, but he, he made, made, made light w- with the media that, oh, now the Phillies are over, so all season actually starts. Like, and I think the Sixers are off to a pretty tough start, if I'm not mistaken. You got James Harden, who was in the best shape of his life. He's out for a month. Um... I mean, is this song and dance ever going to get old for the processors, for the Sixers fans? You got to win something for me, Joel. Win me something, and not an MVP. Get get me out of the second round. Win me the conference. Don't even win me the title. Win me the conference, and, and you can continue to hoot, hoot and holler. But that 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 shit is wearing thin on me. Because your season started like four weeks ago, and and it hasn't started great. So. That's my mini bone with the process. Joe Embiid, 
Uh, we'll look forward to the Eagles on Monday night, and we'll thank everybody for listening to this week's episode of Thoughts in the Shade. Don't forget to share this podcast with anyone you know, anyone you think might like it. We appreciate it. Have a great week.